Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Pirates Talk presented by Jag One Physical Therapy. I'm Matt Laughlin. Seton Hall alumnus John Fanta has rapidly made his name in the world of college basketball, where he can be seen calling games on FS1, working as the lead host of Big East Shootaround on the Big East Digital Network, and providing commentary for the Field of 68 media network. John can be followed on Twitter at at John underscore Fanta. On Sunday evening, John called the action as Seton Hall defeated Rutgers 45-43 to improve to 6-4 on the year, with their first Big East game coming up this Saturday at Prudential Center against Providence. John discusses the Pirate win, the implications for the team moving forward, gives an overview of what to expect in the Big East this year, and much more. And the interview comes your way after this message from Jag One Physical Therapy. A proud sponsor of Seton Hall Athletics, Jag One Physical Therapy gets you back to the life you love. Voted the number one physical therapy company based on first class patient care and outcomes, Jag One Physical Therapy is invested in your full recovery. Your preferred in network rehabilitation provider, Jag One Physical Therapy, has convenient locations throughout New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. For more information and to find a location near you, visit www.jagonept. The busy John Fanta, thank you very much for joining us, carving a little time out of your schedule. I appreciate it. Thank you, Matt, for having me. Happy holidays to you and happy holidays to all those pirate followers out there. Yeah, indeed. Uh, We wish them the very best during this joyous season. So talk a little bit about what you saw on Sunday. You and Jimmy Spinarkle were on the call at uh, the rack. And by the way, it's Always going to be the rack. I get it. We have to pay bills and all that sort of stuff. Rutgers can call it what it wants, but to me, it is the rack. What did you see? Because, boy, that was a rock fight. It really was a rock fight. And I think it was a totally old school game. The way that I look at it is this if you told two teams, and if you told yourself this, folks, that In 2022, two teams would play a game in which there would be next to no fast break opportunities, zero transition opportunities, that it would be decided purely in the half court. First off, you would have said, what year is it? That doesn't (laughs) sound like today's basketball because today's basketball is so run and gun, so up and down. I thought Sunday for basketball purist as ugly as it might have been at times to to someone, I found it to be one of the better Rutgers-Seton Hall games that we've seen because it was so intense and such a drag-it-out, knock-you-down, nip-and-tuck game that it was very compelling. And it was the type of game that as a broadcaster on the TV side, you really let it speak for your for itself, which makes it a lot of fun to do. Never once, Matt Laughlin, during during that game, did I think, man, this is a rough game. I think if somebody looked at the 45 to 43 score, somebody would have said, God, 45-43. How did that happen? What on earth was up with the offenses? I truly believe that was great defense. Great defense from both teams. The tougher team won the game on Sunday. And that is the defining image of the Shaheen Holloway era, both as a head coach at St. Peter's, and now he has that signature moment 
as the head coach at Seton Hall. So that was my takeaway on Sunday. I was very impressed because Rutgers in the last two seasons ahead of that game was 20 and three inside the rack. They don't lose their mat. And to beat them, you've got to out-tough them. I don't think the Scarlet Knights saw that coming from Seton Hall. And Holloway, Ryan Whalen, and the staff deserve an immense amount of credit for the way they got their guys ready for a game that takes another intensity level. Yeah, they certainly came out, and they were a different-looking team. I saw that right away compared to Lincoln, and, and that was just an odd game. It's at Walsh, and as much as I love Walsh, that's not really where they play, and it, it's not the atmosphere that they're used to. But I love being there. But they finally looked like they were connected, at least defensively. Still at times offensively, and maybe as Shaheen said afterward, it's a work in progress. But they can hang their hat on their defense. And for the first time, there weren't a lot of openings for Rutgers to exploit. So for the first time, Seton Hall, I think this season, sent their defensive message out there that, hey, we may not yet score a lot of points, and we may never score a lot of points this year, but we can live and die, as you mentioned earlier, on our defense, and I think that's going to serve them well going forward. That was indeed, I agree with you 100%, a Shaheen Holloway win. Well, and at some point, the message has to turn into results, right? How many times have you covered a, a team that has some talent, but they're not able to put the full product together? And I thought that on Sunday, this team not only showed everybody, I thought, Matt, that, that it was proved to themselves, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, sure. That they, that they have enough. They have enough. And who knows what this season's going to become? Who knows how this season will end up? The, the one thing about this team is, is that they do not have that elite bucket getter that when you need someone to step up, they do that. But Look, that's not how Shaheen Holloway got to an Elite Eight. They did it by grinding it out and by just piecing four-minute wars together. And I think when you lose, the message can fall on deaf ears. Sunday showed this team that they're capable. They're capable of doing it. And I think coming off the win over Memphis – that showed them too, but it was almost a bad thing that then you had to play two, two more games in three days because whereas they could reflect on that, you got to turn right around and play another team. And that's where the lack of a, an elite bucket get hurts you. Cause at some point, at some point you've got to be able to score the ball effectively. And this team's still trying to figure that out. But I will say this. There's two things that Seton Hall should be encouraged about when it comes to offense. One, Kadari Richmond showed up. Mm -hmm. Showed up now recently. So they're getting point guards. I thought the key play of the game was Richmond driving the lane. Seton Hall's down four in the second half. Richmond looks like he's going to take the shot. Instead, he plays basketball. He makes a basketball play. He dishes it off to Dre Davis who turns a good shot into a great one, finding Alamir Dawes. Dawes cans the triple. And what did Holloway do? He high-fived him. You know why? That's what Holloway's been talking about when he says we got to play basketball. That was a basketball play. It was a basketball possession. That's one. And two, two is that Dre Davis and Femi Odukali, but Davis in particular, 
Seton Hall doesn't win on, on Sunday without Davis in the lineup. He returned to the lineup. He gives them an aggressiveness. He gives them shot-making presence. He gives them something positive. And I thought Dre Davis played a huge role. If Nadefa was the MVP, then Davis was in second for that honor. And I think in this game on Sunday, Seton Hall showed that by being undersized, when they're on offense, they can space the floor. Their spacing was better in that game, and it, and it ended up helping them win the game because late in the game, they got a couple of really high-percentage shots at the rim, and Rutgers did not get those same high-percentage looks. I agree, and, and you know, Shaw talked after the game about the return to the lineup of Kadari Richmond and Dre Davis and how that impacted the game and the team. Listen, it makes you better. It makes you deeper. By the way, Davis, the only one in double figures of anyone who played in the game on Sunday. But when it's 45-43 is your final, you're not going to get a lot of double-digit scoring. I found it interesting, and I don't know. I've been around long enough to know that coaches don't miss opportunities to send messages, so I don't think it was an oversight. But when he mentioned the return of players to the Seton Hall lineup, he didn't mention Trey Jackson, who did come back, but he only played a little over eight minutes and, and, and really didn't do anything. He, he was, didn't have any points. It, it just was a nothing game for him. So I, I wonder whether or not, in fact, Shaheen was sending a message saying, hey, Trey, I either need more out of you or I'm now learning through 10 games what my rotation is going to be. And for whatever reason, just don't like what you bring to the table right now. You're not going to be a part of it. What do you think? Well, yeah, so here's my my thing with that. They need Trey Jackson from an offensive perspective. Good point. Because, because he can hit threes and space the floor. Having said this, if you're not going to buy into the defensive philosophy of Shaheen Holloway, you're not going to play. And I'm not saying that Trey's bought in or not, but you got to be capable defensively. And I think at times, I thought in the Iowa game, I thought in the Iowa game, Seton Hall did not know who they were. They didn't know who they were. I thought in the first half, they made it a game on their terms. They were so porous offensively that in the second half, they had to open the game up a little bit, and you had to be willing to trade some buckets. But guess what, Matt Lawson? That plays right into Iowa's game plan. Iowa will trade buckets with you all night. You know why? They will beat you in a game of horse. They're so well coached. Oh, yeah. And and, and they just go. Yep. They'll beat you in a game of horse. And guess what? They did. They couldn't miss in the second half of that game. Again, on Sunday, Seton Hall found their DNA. They regained their identity. And they put together 40 minutes. They really put it together. And, And folks, get ready. Get ready for, like, it's not going to be pretty. Mm-mm. If you're looking, if you're looking for a game in the high seventies, that's not how this team is going to win games. But there's a lot of really good teams that grind you down with the defense and make you work for everything you're going to get. And they have a toughness level that is going to make you cringe when you have to play them. And that's what Shaheen Holloway wants to make opponents do. They're not all the way there yet. They're not all the way there yet. And they could take nothing for granted. You know why? They again, they don't have a superstar score. And that's that's hard. Because 
a lot of times when this team plays, Matt, especially in the Big East, they're not going to have the best player on the floor. But you know what? They're, they're going to have to have more connected team. And I sent the group in the recent weeks that wasn't totally connected at all, and I know we've talked about this as well. When you can win a game like you did on Sunday, you immediately become a connected team. Mm-hmm. Because because guess what? If you were disconnected, there's no chance you were winning at the rack. Absolutely. And a big-time opponent, Jersey rivalry, it does reverberate throughout the team that, hey, you know, we may have found something here. And I think we also forget. And by the way, I want to apologize to Trey Jackson just for a moment here. Sometimes I forget that we're dealing with young men here. But I do look at his stat line. And Hubie Brown used to look at the stat sheet and say to a particular player who who maybe didn't either perform to a level that Hubie expected or thought he was better than he was. And he say, well, you didn't score any points. You didn't have any rebounds. You didn't block a shot. Right. You didn't have an assist. So at what end of the floor did you help us tonight? And so that was the case with Trey Jackson. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. Uh, his offense uh, will certainly help, and they're going to need it because they're not offensively gifted. But how much do you think we've seen now, and especially how much did they turn the corner on Sunday with finally players – getting comfortable with each other. You know, there were injuries that prevented a lot of full team practices before the season started. Then there were guys out of the lineup, as we detailed just a few moments ago. And these guys, some are trying to impress Shaheen. Shaheen's trying to figure out what they got. They're trying to impress their own guys. They're new to the system. Shaheen's new to the old guys, the returning guys. I mean, it... I, I I forgot how much turmoil there could be in that circumstance. How much do you think that is starting maybe to be hammered out and smoothed out based on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and Sunday's the perfect point for those things to get smoothed out because you won. And, and you see what happens when you smooth certain things out. And, and it's, been, it's been a process, and I would call it a rough process at times. But what I gathered from talking to the coaching staff before the game on Sunday was very point blank, and that is, Shane Holloway is not going to sacrifice what he's building with his team for one individual or two individuals. That's, that's what I gathered. And I think it's not pinpointing one or two individuals. That's not what I'm saying. So for the folks listening to this podcast, if you're saying, well, who is it? Who's the bad apple? Who's the bad egg? No, 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 no. That's not the point. The point is you are trying to build something here. You're not trying to be number one in the Big East right now. It, I know you want to be, but guess what? I, I think that's pretty clear who the best team in the Big East is right now. They play in sports, Connecticut. You're trying to build something that's sustainable and that's going to work, and it's going to allow you to compete compete this year and compete in future years. In other words, you're not going to look at your best five and say, this is my best five. So we're just going to ride with these guys. And, and, you know, if there's some egos on the team, that's fine. But if we got, if we got this guy doing this and, and contributing 15 points per game, I can, I can give up him sometimes doing things his own way. If it means he's scoring this many points a game. That's not how this is going to be. 
And I think that on Sunday, the team showed it doesn't matter what other people are saying. It doesn't matter who's scoring the ball. It doesn't matter how many points somebody's scoring. All that matters is racking up stops, racking up stops. I think it's something that Gino Oriema told me earlier this season. And, and he's had injuries, injury after injury. He said, you know, we can't control necessarily who's scoring water, how we're scoring the ball, or if the shots aren't falling. That happens. Here's what we can control, making it a nightmare a nightmare for teams to be able to score the basketball on us. You want teams to fear having to play offense against you. And, and Matt Laughlin for the first time this season on Sunday, I watched a team look genuinely uncomfortable when they were on offense. How many times do you see a team come down the floor? They know where they're going to have to expose a matchup. They know where the matchup advantage is. And undersized they may be, Seton Hall did a brilliant job defensively on Rutgers on Sunday, and they made Rutgers fear playing offense to the tune of 19 turnovers on your home court. Yeah, it was a brilliant display of defense and in your face. And down the stretch, they grabbed every rebound. They challenged everything. They were the more aggressive team and they were the better team that night. And afterwards, Steve Peichel said as much. So Rutgers has some work to do. Seton Hall obviously continues to work at what it hopes to attain this season. Drexel is next on the schedule. Don't want to look past the Dragons necessarily. But Saturday is the first Big East game of the season for Seton Hall. What are you expecting against Providence? Well, I look at two matchups. By the way, did you notice how I just looked past Drexel? You did, and I wouldn't do that. I, I also wouldn't do that because I think that the Dragons are capable. They've got some experience on their side, and while they haven't necessarily had an impressive season, they're still a team that Seton Hall's riding the high, the high of this rivalry win. Drexel doesn't care about that. Mm-hmm. Drexel's coming off a win of their own over LaSalle, in which they held LaSalle with 58 points. So Drexel comes in, riding some good momentum, and they've got a, a really talented player in a kid named Coltrane Washington, a six foot four fifth-year guard who can shoot it from deep and make things happen. So Drexel's got some experienced players. They, they could be competitive in the game, and I do wonder about Seton Hall's mental stamina coming off such a great win. You know, that's always important, Matt. How do you – not just how do you respond after the losses – how do you build on the wins? That's a really big question here heading into this game. But to your question, Saturday against Providence, the matchup I'm looking forward to the most is Bryce Hopkins for Providence, who is a Kentucky transfer, who was down, sad, totally in in depression, frankly, in that moment when Kentucky falls to St. Peter's. Casey Defoe's in jubilation, joy, excitement, a thrill as St. Peter's upsets Kentucky. And Bryce Hopkins is on the bench, Matt. And he told me this in the preseason. He was thinking, where am I going to transfer to? Because I don't play for Kentucky. I haven't gotten any minutes here. Where's my next stop? We just lost in the first round. We just got humiliated 
by the St. Peter's Peacocks, and I didn't make it on the floor in that game against them. Where am I going to play next? Now he plays at Providence, and he wants to write his career. He wants to write the Friars ship, and Casey Nadefo is going to be on him on Saturday. So how about the journey of those two players, and now they're going to collide on Saturday. Defo, the star of March. Hopkins watched one of the great upsets. He had to watch it from the bench because he didn't play. And now he's the province. He's in the Big East. He's a talented, talented forward. Makes things happen. He can score the ball effectively. They get him the ball. Ed Cooley runs the Al Skinner flex offense and other sets that set up Hopkins for success. Well, Defo, it's going to be his task to try to take away Hopkins. Whatever Hopkins does in this game, Matt Laughlin will determine who wins it. If Defo shuts Hopkins down, Providence is going to have a hard time against Seton Hall. The other element to this game is the point guard battle. Jared Biden for Providence has had ups and downs. So has Kadari Richmond. Who's better at initiating their offense? I think it'll be a defensive war. I think Seton Hall's ability to keep Providence in the half court is going to be important because Providence could run. They've got speed. I really like the guard, Devin Carter. I would expect Carter gets assigned to Dre Davis at times, Alamir Dawes at times. So they're going to pin Carter. I, I think it's the first to 50, first to 55 wins. I really expect another war. I think it could be a lot like the Rutgers game on Saturday. Yeah, I agree. I think it will be that low-scoring game. We'll see who winds up getting it. By the way, you heard it here first, folks, the matchup to look for Saturday at Prudential Center when Seton Hall and Providence open up Big East play. Last couple, and we'll let you go here, John. What do I make of the Big East? You told us, and, and rightfully so. I mean, UConn right now head and shoulders about above everyone else, uh, unbeaten at 11-0, nationally ranked, et cetera, et cetera. A couple of things puzzle me. I know some injuries have played a role in Villanova's slow start, although they've won three in a row now. And Creighton, they, they were out, called Brenner for you know some time, illness, but Boy, so much was expected of the Blue Jays, and they've kind of stumbled out of the gate. So overall, some of the teams that have surprised you negatively or positively and who you're looking at in the Big East. So here's how I pinpoint things in the Big East. I think Connecticut is elite Final Four candidate. Second best team in the Big East right now, in my opinion, is Xavier. Sean Miller has come back to Cincinnati. He has reinstilled. A, a confidence level, a toughness factor, uh, an edge, an edge to Xavier basketball. They're a tournament team. They're a good team. I think they're a top 25 team. They're not ranked. They missed out on some opportunities. They, they had Duke on the ropes. They had Gonzaga on the ropes. Couldn't beat either of them. If they beat one of those teams, Matt, we're talking about a ranked team right now. They just fell short. I think they'll be better from it. They really challenged themselves. In their non-conference schedule, Xavier's got back-to-back -back wins over West Virginia and Cincinnati. Cincinnati on the road, that's always a tough rivalry game. They found a way to win it. I think Marquette is, is a surprise team in this league. Surprise for the positive. Marquette has wins over Notre Dame and Baylor. The win over Notre Dame came on the road. The Golden Eagles have a star sophomore guard, Cam Jones. And they have developed. Shaka Smart didn't bring in a lot of players in the offseason. He lost Justin Lewis. A lot of people wondered, how's he going to do it? He's shown he was the right man for the job at Marquette. Got them to the tournament last year. They look like a tournament team yet again. Creighton's still a tournament team. They got to figure out their identity. They have not been good from the perimeter and no Kalkbrenner hurts. You want to get Creighton now, Seton Hall will face them in early January in Omaha. Honestly, I'd rather face them then than I would in February because I think Greg McDermott is too good of a coach for him to fall off too much, too much more. But they've 
they've dropped five games in a row. It's shocking, honestly. Do I still think they'll make the tournament? Yes. Key question that the East is very simple. How does the league get to five teams in the tournament? In an 11-team league, if you get five teams in, you're fine. That's a solid year. You know, you, you got close to half your league in. It's what it is. If you get six, that's a quality year. I, I don't think this is a six-bid league. I think it's closer to five. I think that there are four teams going for one bid. St. John's, who hasn't played anybody and and is a good team, but they haven't played anybody. They didn't schedule well. Butler, Dark Horse team. They've surprised me. Dark Horse team. Providence, they, they have not been as good as I thought. They haven't capitalized on their on the resume chances that they've had. They really haven't beaten anybody. That's why Saturday is very important for Providence. And then I would put Seton Hall in that mix. I still think Seton Hall is going to be in the mix for a bid because Seton Hall owns two Quadrant One wins over Memphis and Rutgers at Rutgers. And I think Seton Hall found their identity on Saturday. Georgetown is bad. They're, they haven't gotten any better. And it's dark times in D.C. DePaul is no better. Than they've been, they're they're in a tough spot as well. So, and then we have not talked. How many times would you ask me about the Big East? And I didn't even bring up Villanova. <laughs> Villanova is probably the wild card of this league because they got off to such a poor start. But Matt Cam Whitmore is different. He is a one and done prospect. He's an elite wing. The key question in the Big East is very simple: What is Justin Moore's Achilles injury timeline? Mm-hmm. What is he going to look like when he does come back? We don't know the answers to those questions. Villanova's obviously keeping that on the down low. That is a huge, huge storyline to Big East play. I think Villanova's more of a middle Big East team. They could beat they could beat anybody in this league. They could beat anybody in this league. They could also lose to some teams that they haven't lost to in the past. Kyle Neptune's first year, his first go around in the Big East is going to be an interesting storyline just because you've known the Wildcats as the king of the hill, and they are no longer that. So that's a wonderful summation of what to look for with the year not even underway. St. John's has the win against DePaul. That's the only game that was played in the Big East, and it will start shortly for Seton Hall. It begins Saturday against Providence. So, John, what's next for you? Where are you at? Wednesday night, I've got the Hall and Drexel on FS1 with Jim Spinarkle. And I, would, on- I would be there, except I missed my 35th wedding anniversary on Monday as we record this last night because the Devils had a game in the Garden against the Rangers. So mm. Wednesday will be the day and night that we celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. There's, oh. a, there's only so much that I can ask of my wife to look the other way. She's so gracious <laughs> and has been over these 35 years under understanding my schedule, but it would be hard for me to get there. So uh, have fun on that game, by the way. Yes, and congratulations to you and your wife on 35 years of marriage. Very, very cool and awesome and love it, and God bless her. We all need great, great better halves, and uh, you've got one, so congratulations to you. Well, and you do as well. Thank you very much. She's she's a treasure, and we're excited excited for our nuptials come next September, uh, September 1, 2023. Very excited. Counting down the days as I talked to you, 262 days away, but who's counting? <laughs> uh, so that'll be Wednesday, Seton Hall and Drexel. And then I've got Sunday, some women's basketball, 430 on FS1. When Providence pays a visit to St. John's, a St. John's women's team that's unbeaten at 10 and 0. The locals have done well in women's basketball. And I'll end with this. Tony Bazella's team has won six in a row. Yep. I think that the Pirates are, are an NCAA tournament 
candidate. In fact, in Charlie Cream's ESPN Bracketology this morning, Seton Hall was in the NCAA tournament field. So for you Pirate followers, keep an eye on Tony Bazella's team because they look like they're going to find their way to March Madness this year. Yeah, I, I agree. They, they they stumbled a little bit at the start. They lost to Princeton and Columbia. Good teams, don't get me wrong. Those, in particularly uh, Princeton, and then lost right out of the gate in the Thanksgiving tournament down in uh, U.S. Virgin Islands. But they they came away with two wins there, and they win on the road against Xavier, and they beat Marquette. So yeah, they got something going there, and good for them. Yes, they do. And thank you for having me. And happy holidays to everybody in Pirate Nation. And here's to an interesting week and a really interesting Saturday inside the rock. John, thanks very much for your time. I will see you along the road and I look forward to maybe having you on a show as we get a little farther into the season. Your insights are always appreciated. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you. And that will do it for this edition of Pirates Talk presented by Jag One Physical Therapy. Special thanks to John for coming on the show. As he mentioned, he will be on the call of Wednesday's Seton Hall-Drexel game from Prudential Center on FS1 with another friend of the program, Jim Spinarkle. Pirates Talk is available wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I invite you to rate the show, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks to Pat Christensen, the sound engineer of today's show and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. His help is invaluable, and I am most grateful for the support of my friend. And thanks to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. I'm Matt Lachlan. Until next time, be safe, be well, and let's go Pirates.